years ago. Some people use a process called radiometric dating to determine that the earth is billions of years old. This method is not correct and goes against God's word. And so I kind of took that phrase, that statement, that focus and summarized it down into a question tonight, which is how do you figure out the age of the earth? How do you figure it out? How are other people going about trying to figure out how old the earth is? This is the question we're tackling tonight with our study. Um, we are going to be looking at genealogies in the Word, something that you've probably read over and just kind of glazed right by before when you're reading the Word because you start reading names and they're not familiar names and you sometimes you just keep going on. Well, there is a tremendous value to those sections of the Bible. We're going to look at a few of them tonight. Um, and in those, we find the what's called a chronogenealogy, and it gives us a timed history of how old our earth is, how old creation is, because um, it has a continuing, unbroken chain of people that have lived from the very beginning of time, from six days when everything was created, till today. There is an unbroken genealogy. And so I was thinking about this question, how do you figure out the age you know, and I think one of the things we'll encounter tonight as we get into the apologetic part of uh, this lesson is that there's mistake in how people calculate age because it's really difficult to find the age of something that you weren't there for the beginning of. You know, I was thinking about this a little bit. It seems like when people look back into the past, sometimes they misremember or the further you get away from a moment in time, the more the story changes. I don't know if anybody's ever had that true. You know, I, I'm friends with a lot of people who like to fish and do that kind of thing. And what it seems like is every time someone tells the same fishing story over and over again, the fish always gets just a little bit bigger every time. Has anybody ever had that experience where somebody tells you it was about Dan's laughing right now? Yeah, but he mounted his on the wall. So we know how big his, his fish was. No, but it it gets a little bit bigger every time, right? It maybe just changes a little bit. Well, I think that's something that we see with how people um, approach the topic of the age of the earth is the further we've gotten away from creation, the more people have changed the record and changed the account. One of the things we've said in some of our past lessons is that up until about the 1700s, it was, it was widely commonly believed that the, um, the new earth, the young earth theory was true, you know, that the earth was only 6,000 some years old. Um, and it wasn't until just the last couple hundred years that that common belief has changed. And so um, tonight, you know, I think one of the things that's important for us to note beyond some of the, uh, well, like the radioactive dating that we're going to look at, or radiometric dating method, we'll look at that and see why it's not valid. But uh, beyond even the scientific part of, of this apologetic argument, I think is also just the fact that for thousands and thousands of years of humanity, the Bible was the, the place that people went to know the truth. And it wasn't until just recently that people started buying into um, the, the theories, the thoughts, the beliefs, or ideas of a man over the written, recorded, unchanging Word of God. And so I think even just looking at that simple fact shows us enough that, you know, we, we ought to go here, this place that has been unchanged for 6,000 years, um, we ought to go here for the truth rather than a constantly changing and evolving theory. And so, um, you know, I think we have the advantage in looking at the truth of history that we didn't live through ourselves, because what we have is a recorded account, not just a guess. You know, that's, that's the best that a scientist or somebody with a theory about an old earth has. Anybody claiming that the earth is 4.5 billion years old and the universe is 13 some billion years old? Well, you know, I, I think just as much as they could say, well, how do you know the Bible's true? 
Well, you could ask the question, well, how do you know your theory is true? I have something that hasn't changed in 6,000 years that has been recorded over and over, inspired word of God that has continued to be uncompromised, unbroken, and infallible. And what you have is somebody's best guess that's a couple hundred years old. And so I think even just looking at, at the, you know, the value in both of those things, we can see clearly that taking the word at its, its tr truth is uh, much more sensical than uh, going with the theory of a person. So let's get in tonight, and we're going to go to Genesis 5 to begin. What we're going to find here as we go through these genealogies, and this is really going to be kind of a, a history lesson tonight. We're, we're looking specifically at the, the um, su succession of life that occurred, which makes this unbroken chain of humanity and time throughout the word, um, through our history. And by calculating the age of man, we can know the age of the earth. I think this is an exciting answer to the question of how do you figure out the age of the earth. Well, by calculating the age of mankind, we can know the age of the earth. You know, this is something that science can't get to either, is they might be able to take a guess at how long mankind has been present, but they still don't have anything concrete to say, well, this is when the earth began. Well, we know based on the word that everything began just five days before mankind. That's, that's what the Word says. This is our history book. You know, one of the things I felt really strongly about um, just studying for tonight is that the Word is not just a story or a guess. It is history. You know, the Bible is not only um, a, a source of doctrine and revelation of God. It is also history. Absolutely the true history of our existence as mankind. And so um, tonight as we look, we are going to find answers in the Word that scientists can only guess at because we know that based on what the word says uh, we are five days younger than creation of the whole uh, whole universe and so Genesis 5 verses 1 through 11 this is the first genealogy we'll look at tonight and this begins with Adam it reads it like this um, and I've got this up on the overhead so we'll go ahead and move up to that This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them. Man, when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Adam were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. <clears throat> Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. And so what we see here is, is the first of some genealogies, and really what this just gives us an example of is how the Word had, has shown us the unbroken chain of life from Adam, which we'll, we'll see go on all the way through Christ, and then to us today. Um, we'll go ahead and read this next one here in Genesis 11. Continuing on, we see this is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot of Aphaxad, 
two years after the flood. After he begot, Arphaxad, said, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Arphaxad lived 35 years and begot Selah. And Arphaxad lived after he fathered Selah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Selah had lived 30 years, he fathered Eber. And Selah lived after he fathered Eber 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And Eber lived after he fathered Peleg 430 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And when Peleg lived 30 years, he fathered Reu. And Peleg lived after he fathered Reu 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu had lived 32 years, he fathered Serug. And Reu lived after he fathered Serug 207 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Serug had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor. And Serug lived after he fathered Nahor 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah. And Nahor lived after he fathered Terah 119 years and had other sons and daughters. And when Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And so here we see, too, another chronogenealogy, which gives us a continued list of these people that lived so long ago. What's important to see about these chronogenealogies, something like I mentioned at the beginning that you may have read before and just gone right over. I mean, I'll, I'll admit myself as guilty to that. I've read through these in Genesis before and not paid a lot of mind. You know, it's this person gave birth to this person and then they lived this long. You know, that, that's like the kind of stuff that you know, preachers will say maybe if, if you're having a rough night getting to sleep, just go read some of these genealogies and eventually you're going to get tired enough that you just you, you fall asleep. Well, there is such an important value in these genealogies because not only do they tell us who gave birth to which sons in the Old Testament, but what they give us is this unbroken chain of life, which is not only showing us who came from whom, but it also shows us how long each one was alive and what a timeline of life on earth was. I don't know if everybody got one of these printouts tonight calculating the earth's age. It looks like this. If you picked one up on the back tonight, what we're going to look at is this unbroken chain making up this 6,000 year time that we have um, for mankind. You know, we've said that quite a lot throughout this study of Answers in Genesis is that our earth is about 6,000 years old. We are about 6,000 years old as mankind. And so we get to that number partially through these chronogenealogies, but also we're going to see um, a, a couple of other ways where there are kind of three main parts in, in time to the Bible. There are three segments of about 2,000 years each that make up our Bible. The first segment is going to be from Adam <clears throat> Sorry, from Adam to Noah. And then after that, we have from Noah um, to Abraham. I'm sorry, it's, so it's Adam to, to Noah is about 10 generations. It's 10. There's 10 generations from Adam to Noah. From Noah to Abraham, there are another 10 generations present. And so those two groups of 20 generations, that, that section of 20, makes up the first 2,000 years of history. And then what we're going to find is from Abraham to Jesus is about another 2,000 years. And then from Jesus to today, well, we know about how long that's been. It's been about 2,000 years. As Jesus was crucified around 33 AD. And so with this, we have a timeline of how old the earth is. We can trace it back. We're going to start tonight 
as we've read these two uh, chrono genealogies in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, um, we're just going to go through this worksheet. And I know we don't do a little fill in the blank every week, but I thought tonight we could do this. I think this will be something that sticks out in your mind where next time someone asks, how do you know how old the earth is? I mean, when, when you're saying the earth is 6,000 years old and schools are teaching that it's, you know, 13, the universe is 13 billion years and people are believing that it's 13 billion years and here you come up with the number 6,000. People are going to wonder, well, how do you get to that? And let me tell you, most people are completely unaware that the Bible has anything to say about how old the earth is. Most people think that the Bible is just a book of, of rules and regulations or ideas about God. We know that it's so much more than that. We know that it is truth for our life today. We know it is a revelation of God to us. And we know it's true history, not just stories. And so... I believe it's important that we have a firm grasp of where we can go to in the Word to find these answers. And so what we see in these chrono genealogies is we have both the account of who came after who, but we also have this account of how long they were there. And on this sheet you'll find the scripture references uh, for each part to this. And so let's go ahead, we'll go back real quick, and as we go through it this time, I'd encourage you if you've got a pen and you've got the sheet here, go ahead and mark down the figures for each of these sections as we go through. So the first one, Adam, we have him right here in Genesis 5.3. It says, the age of Adam when his son Seth was born was 130 years. And so we have our first period of time, which is 130 years. Going on to Genesis 5 verse 6, when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. So we have our next our next age of a father when his son was born there. And so we're just going from the time the father was alive until he gave birth to the next father. This is how we'll keep track. And obviously, we're shown how long they lived, which will be part of the discussion as well a little further on. But right now, we're focusing on just how old these, these men were when they gave birth to their next son. And so um, here we have Seth giving birth to Enosh. If we go forward to Genesis 5, verse 9, um, we see Enosh and Canaan. Um, 90 years old. 90 years old is our next figure. And that's the end of, oh, we've got, we've got 12 here as well. So 12, um, that's 11, 12. So to continue on, I've got uh, Genesis 5 here in my Bible. And if you have yours as well, you can go there to verify. I'm just going to read through these next few to give you the figures, kind of to speed this, this process up, um, just so we all are on the same page here. Verse 12 of Genesis 5, it says, Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. 70 years is the next one. And then his son in Genesis 5.15, it says, Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. So 65 years is that next one. So, so far we have 130, 105, 90, 70, and then 65. And if we go to verse 18, it says, Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch, 162 years is our next age. It says then in verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. So Enoch was 65 years old when his son Methuselah was born. Methuselah, it says in verse 25, lived 187 years and begot Lamech. Lamech, in verse 28, lived 182 years and had a son. And his son was Noah. And so this is our first group of 10 generations. Let's keep going on. We're going to have to go to verse 32 to find Noah giving birth to Shem here. Verse 32, Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
And so we have Noah here, 500 years old. 500 years old. And then it's kind of a, that's kind of a, a lot of life before you gave birth to a son, isn't it? It's a lot of life. It's true. Which is a, something we'll get to, but it is amazing to see the ages that are present here. We'll come back to this um, kind, of, kind of towards the end of today's lesson, and we'll definitely touch on it next week. Next week, we're talking about stewardship of the earth. I guess I could have mentioned that at the end, but I'll just tell you now because it's a good time. We're going to talk about how we were given a, a life to steward on this earth, how we were given an earth to steward while we're here um, in this world. And part of that is, is uh, this life that we've got. And we see, and, and we'll get into it uh, towards the end of today's lesson, how really um, there, there is kind of this decaying process of life. You know, I, I'll save that part for the end, but we even talked last week with the dinosaurs and dragons about how, you know, there was a time where they roamed the earth. Well, obviously we see extinction happening, and I mean, we can even see in the lifespan of mankind that are living um, as we go through these genealogies, these chronogenealogies, that it just tends to get shorter and shorter and shorter, and that's really a result of um, the fall, sin, death, and, and corruption coming into the world. Let's keep going with these genealogies so we can get through them. In Genesis 11 verse 10 we'll have this one up on the screen again this is the genealogy of Shem Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphaxad Arphaxad and it's, that's actually spelled two different ways one's got an X and the other one's an SH but it's Arphaxad I've kind of butchered it a couple times but that's how, you, that's how we're going to say it Arphaxad and so he was <laughs> It says he was 100 years old when Shem begot him. So we have 500 years old for Noah, 100 years here. And then Arphaxad Shad in verse 12 was 35 when he gave birth to his son. And Selah gave birth to Eber in uh, verse 14 after he had lived 30 years. And we can keep going into 16. When Eber had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg. And then Peleg, when he, in, this is in verse 18, lived 30 years and begot Ru. In verse 20, Ru lived 32 years and begot Serug. <clears throat> in 22, Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. In verse 24, Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. So we have 29. And then in verse 26, we finish out this genealogy, this group of ten, where it says, Now Terah lived seventy years and begot Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And so if we add all of these figures up together, got my calculator out. Anybody else bring a calculator? You probably didn't know you were going to need a calculator in church tonight, did you? 1,951 for the two groups. You know what? I, I trust Donna's math. Anybody else trust Donna's math tonight? 1,951. 1,951. And so here what we have is the first section, what we're, we're talking from Adam to Noah. 1,951 roughly 2,000 years, approximately 2,000 years of time that we have calculated now that from Adam to Noah, this was the, the period 
or I'm sorry, from Adam to Abraham. I keep, I keep messing that up. There's the two groups of 10. So from Adam to Abraham, these 20 generations, just about 2,000 years in time. And so this is how we calculate the first part of these genealogies. But if we go on further from Abraham to Jesus, our next kind of grouping that we're talking about, I'd like us to go to Luke 3. Luke 3, 34 through 38. And this is on your scripture sheet if you got that tonight. And what's different about the genealogy, we're, we're going to just glance at this one because we're not going to go through and add these figures up. Okay, we, we've had our fun with math tonight. But we're going to go on and look at Luke 3, verse 34. And what we're going to see here is just a continued, um, this person beget this person. This is the genealogy lining up. This is where we make a switch from a chronogenealogy to uh, just a, a regular genealogy. You know, this is what maybe uh, would have been studied in school. I know at one time I had to do a project where I learned about who was who my great-grandpa and my great-great-grandpa and grandma and where did they come from. You know, this is more what we're talking about here. It's, it's not so much the time. It's not giving us the, the frame of years, but what it shows us is how old each one was or, or what the progression of one to another to another was. And so here we see Jesus, and, and I'm not going to read this whole section tonight. You can do that after, after the service if you'd like to. But it says that Jesus, it gives his ancestry and traces him all the way back to Adam. And how we can figure out this next period of time, you know, there might be people who would say, well, there could have been a gap in there. You know, we don't have the years figured out. How, how are we supposed to know how much time this Luke 3, uh, 34 through 38, or, you know, if we just even took it to where Abraham was in verse 34, you know, if we just took it from Luke um, 30, I'm, I'm sorry, I think we start earlier than 34, because this genealogy starts in 23. I don't have that listed um, under the Luke, you know, 34. It says 34 to 38. It's actually 23 to 38, but it would be from 23 to uh, verse 34. From Luke 3, 23 to 34, you know, how do we know how long that period of time is? That's a lot more people. And this is another point that you may have somebody ask you is how is it possible, like even just looking at this genealogy of Christ, you know, we have um, a total of four verses that make up the first 2,000 years. And then we've got, you know, 13 scriptures that make up from Abraham to Jesus. How is it possible that there were that many more generations in the second 2,000 years than there were in the first 2,000 years? Well, the answer is lifespan of, of people, you know? I mean, we see Noah here. He's not given birth until he's 500 years old. I mean, today, if you wait till you're 500, you're not having any kids. I mean, even just talking about, I mean, you're not. And if we even just talk about the, the average age, I didn't do this, but we could probably average these ages up. And I'm guessing it would come in somewhere around, well, with Noah in there, it's probably 100 years old. 100 plus years old average age of your first child. And so if you're waiting that long, and then that kid's waiting that long before you're re, re, you know, recreating, reproducing, I mean, you're going to have an extended period of time. Today, I mean, it's, it's like 20s, 30s. I mean, people are having kids much sooner in life, and so the generations squish together much closer, and so there's so many more grouped in the, you know, in the second 2,000 years than we have in the first 2,000 years. And so that is, a, is an effect, a result of, of shorter lifespans while we're on earth. 
But if we look at how we get to the 2,000 year figure, um, answers in Genesis, the way they presented this is um, based on historical events that can be traced back and looked at. You know, they, they make a note of historians, anthropologists, people that study cultures. They recognize events that happened at specific times, and they say even secular researchers would agree with a biblical timeline from Abraham on. I dug a little bit deeper than that, and so I wanted to share um, a couple of other facts that we can find in the Word. And we don't have to turn to all of these tonight, but Genesis 25, verse 7, talks about, about Abraham's life. It said he lived 175 years. Um, Genesis 35, 28 gives us the time of Isaac's life. It's 180 years. Genesis 47, 28 says Jacob lived 147 years. And so we have lifespans. And in between those, in Genesis 21, verse 5, it says that um, Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old. Um, it says in Genesis 25, verse 26, that Jacob was born when Isaac was 60 years old. And then, of course, Jacob gave birth to Joseph, and then the Israelites were into Egypt. And I think from that point on, we can recognize historic events that occurred um, just by looking at, at you know, his, history. I mean, what we have recorded um, as, as society, because Egypt was a society that kept records, they kept documentation of what was going on. And so looking at history and uh, finding facts there, we actually can get some dates, some dates, if I can find where I wrote these dates down. I have them right here. Some of the historical moments that we see written about in the Word, and we also, as as Humanity, as mankind, we have a record of these written because cultures were keeping records. Um, we know that the Israelites' presence and exodus from Egypt would have happened around 14, um, 1446 BC. 1446 BC was roughly the time that Israel was exodused, ex left, we'll just say left Egypt. There was a great exodus. The Red Sea split and they crossed. This happened around 1446 B.C. Conquest of the Promised Land. It was right around uh, 1400 B.C. And so we know that that would have happened. We, there were records. There's history about cultures. You know, the Philistines. I mean, I, there are books, secular books, that talk about the Philistine people being overrun as Israel came into the Promised Land. Then we have other events uh, such as the building of the temple in 959 B.C. Um, or, you know, Israel's fall to the Assyrian and Babylonian kingdoms. Uh, that happened between 700 B.C. and 600 B.C. And then there was the second building, the rebuilding of the temple in about 500 B.C. These are some events that occurred in, in kind of the more recent B.C. years. In kind of the, the last 3,000 years, we'll say, this was recent enough history that there was record of it beyond even what was written in the Bible. And so here we see that secular society starts lining up with the words historical account and they don't contradict each other. History and the Bible line up until you start bringing theories in. And that's the only time that you'll find conflict is when somebody brings in a theory. But if we look back upon history that's been recorded, we find that it and the Bible align. And so if we just look at the Bible's chronogenealogies, the numbered lifespans of people who lived, that'll get us to Joseph. And at the point of Joseph, well, Israel's into Egypt. God's people are into Egypt. And from that point on, we have a written record 
a historical record of, of timeline. And so that makes up the second 2,000 year period is from, well, Noah. I'm sorry, I keep saying that. It's from Abraham. From Abraham to Jesus, we have our second 2,000 year approximate timeline. And we can find that from going um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose times and, and births we have written dates for in the Bible. We have a timeline for those. And then we're into Egypt and we have a written historical record that lines up um, that, that gets us through to Jesus. And that, of course, is in about 5 BC, 3 to 5 BC. When Jesus was born, he came onto earth, and of course we know he died around 33 AD, and that was about 2,000 years ago, just based on, once again, the records. You know, we're, in a, we're at a point now where history, we have written history outside of the Word. We have, as Christians, we have the written Word all the way back to the beginning of time, but secular society has written history recorded, well, I would say to, to about 4,000, a little less than 4,000 B.C., and so we know that the word and written history line up together. So we find 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years from Abraham to Jesus, and about 2,000 years from Jesus to now, making the total age of our earth 6,000 years. Now, just a couple of notes, um, some things with these chronogenealogies that some people would, I mean, maybe before tonight you had never like even looked into chronogenealogies, never heard that word before and never thought about what a counter, you know, point to that might be. There are people who would say that there are gaps throughout the word where it says that this person begat this person, that it would not be inferring a true, I am their father, where, you know, I, I gave birth to this son um, at this point in life. There are people that would want to discredit the Bible and make it seem like things are much, much, much older by making gaps to fit a millions of years old theory. The word begat, and you should have this on your printout, the word begat, yalad, means a father-son relationship. This is, this is inferring, I am your, your true father, your you know, genetic, I, I gave birth to you, father. This is what the word means, and so to take that out of context and say, well, maybe they're just using this as a term to say, you know, great, 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 great grandfather. Well, I mean, even to just get specific, I mean, if I'm talking about my grandpa, Pastor Dave, I'm going to use a different term for him than I would use for Bruce Wangler, my father. I mean, I'm grateful for Pastor Dave, and he is a fatherly figure to me in some ways, but a father that gave birth and raised me and my grandfather who has maybe a fatherly influence in my life in a way, those are different things. And I would use a different word and in Hebrews they would have used a different word as well. And so yalad, what we see here, this is inferring the word that is in the text means they gave birth, this is the father of this next person. And so to say otherwise, you know, it's, it's really just grasping at, at trying to make and twist a theory in, into fitting into the word. And that's really the only time where, where we're going to have to have these discussions where, where somebody's trying to twist the word and change the word and, and make it mean something that it doesn't mean. I mean, it's like going back to the word yom with the 24-hour days of creation, you know, twisting it to mean something that it doesn't mean just so that I can believe what I would like to believe. Well, you know what? The word is the word whether you want to believe it or not. Whether you like what it says or not, it's, it's the truth. 
And so I want to know what it says. I don't want to twist what I think into um, being what it, it is. So I would rather believe the word, take it at its word and at its meaning, rather than try to twist my own definition in to make it align with what I believe. I, I change what I believe to align with the word. I don't change the word to align with what I believe. That's really the bottom line. And so when we look at these definitions, we're just reinforcing that point that we're not changing the word to align with what we believe. We're changing what we believe to align with the word. And that's what we do. So genealogies, these chronogenealogies, what they are is a verification of history. They're a verification of history. And so next time you're reading the Bible and you come across a genealogy, just Look at, it, look at it with a little more value than here's a, here's a chapter I get to skip over or here's a, here's a chapter I can just skim through quick. I mean, they hold tremendous value and they really do uh, verify the word and the 6,000 year timeline of history we have. Long life. You know, as we read through Genesis 5 account, and I'll just flip back to that so we can see some of these dates. We see people with some very, very long lives. The days of Seth, 912 years, and he died. He lived a very long time. Adam, 930 years. Enosh, 807 years. These people lived a really long time. You know, we just see these long lifespans. Methuselah, the longest man to ever live, 969 years old. That is a long life. Long life, Methuselah. You know, I always remember Methuselah because when I was in grade school, my math teacher was, he was actually a, a youth leader at our church, and he asked me who the oldest person to ever live was, and I didn't know. I knew it was some old name in the Bible, but I couldn't say it, and so it's been burned in, into my memory forever. Just, yeah, I'm never going to forget Methuselah now. But 969 years old, he lived a very long time. You know, there would be people who, would want to use the long lifespan of these, these early Genesis people. They would want to say, well, you know, the Bible, it's just, it's fiction. It's a story. I mean, it's talking about people living a thousand years old. Can't be possible. How could people live so long? A question you may encounter talking about, you know, a, a new earth with, well, with some very old people who once lived in it. How could people live so long? You know, I alluded to this earlier, but the fall and decay of the earth that would result um, was, was maybe not affecting their life to the point that it is today. Let's look at Romans 5, verse 12 tonight. Romans 5, verse 12. I'm going to look at a New Testament scripture that talks about the fall. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. And of course, it goes on to talk about how life came through one man, which is the good news we have today. Hallelujah. Amen. But I think it's interesting, even here in Genesis, or I'm sorry, Romans 12, or 5, 12, it said, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men. Death spread to all men because it entered the world through sin. You know, once, once the fall had occurred and sin and death had entered 
the world, it began to spread. As I think about the lifespans that we see, and we just, we see this progression, you know, 900 years down to 600 or 500 years, 200 years, 100 years by the time we get to Joseph. I mean, in a short time of genealogies, we go from a thousand year life period down to a hundred year lifespans. And that's really where we're at today as we see people live. I mean, really, if someone lives a hundred years today, they've, they've lived a long life by our standards today. What it is, I believe, is a result of the spread of death into the world. And I'm not preaching doom and gloom here today. We have a a glorious, abundant life in Christ. And we have power over death in the grave. And we get to go home earlier than a thousand years. We don't have to live on a fallen world for a millennium. We can go home after 80 or 90 or 100. Hallelujah. It's good news. But the, the long lifespans, I believe, part of the reason people live so long, you know, right after the fall, these next few generations, I believe they live so long because death had not spread to the gr- degree that it has spread today. It had not maybe taken the time to mature and have the effect on humanity that it now has. You know, there's actually, in, uh, in science, I'm telling you, observational science is always going to line up with the Word of God. It's really an interesting thing. There is a genetic load, is, is what it's called. Scientists study this thing called a genetic load, and they say every generation carries this genetic load and passes it on to the next generation. And every generation down the way that you go, every generation further we go from the perfect state of mankind in the Garden of Eden after the fall, every generation, it says, this genetic load gets a little bit worse. It says all, all of the diseases and mutations and things that were wrong with previous generations that had this gene, that had this DNA, that are passing it along to their, their offspring, they say every time it just gets worse. It's the spread of death, just like it says here in Romans 5.12, that death spread to the world. Well, I believe that as, this lines up with the word is, is the way I see it, that, you know, at the beginning, there was, there was a very limited spread of death. But as time went on, I think the genetic load makes sense to me because it was, um, it, it was this spread of death continuing on throughout, um, well, throughout recreation, throughout re- reproduction. And so as children begat children and children begat children, well, the, the death spread. And so, you know, even as we were talking about dinosaurs and dragons last week and how they have now gone extinct completely for a variety of reasons. One of those reasons are we're living in a fallen, dying world that really cannot sustain that life. Well, I believe we live in a world, and, and we live in bodies that are of the world. They're dust. I mean, our, our flesh is, is staying here when we die. Amen? I mean, I get to leave this body and go on to a glorified body one day. Hallelujah. Well, because the body, the physical flesh, is part of the world, it, it's dying with the world. My spirit's alive, but my body's dying. And that's not bad news. It's, it's just true. And... I think even as we see, you know, dinosaurs and dragons, they can't live on the earth anymore. Well, we can't live a thousand years on the earth anymore because the world isn't what it used to be. You know, people say that and it kind of takes on a different context when you understand that there was once a perfect, very good, called by God world. You know, and as, the, as we get further and further from that, I think we just, we see that uh, there, there is not the ability to sustain this thousand-year timeline. And so if somebody says, well, the Bible can't be true. People were living a thousand years in Genesis. I would say, well, yeah, but 
They were living in, in a world that had just been perfect a few years earlier. I mean, every, their, their bodies were made perfect. They didn't have any issues. They didn't have any problems. They didn't have diseases. They didn't have coronavirus. They didn't have any of it. They were, they were perfect at that time, but once sin and death came in, it began to spread. And, and the further, I believe, the further we get from that, the worse the condition gets. And one day, praise the Lord, there will be a new heaven and a new, new earth, and this old dying thing is going to be done away with. Amen. It's good news. And it explains why we don't see people live a thousand years old today. Just some answers that we find in Genesis to some of these questions that people may pose. You know, we've talked quite a bit, moving into the apologetics section of this tonight. I know we have kind of alluded to the age of the earth a lot over this study. You know, we've talked about it throughout creation week and, and kind of every step of the way we've, we've come back to this and talked about age. Because one of the main things we're discussing in this whole curriculum is uh, rejecting the theory of evolution, rejecting a gap theory, rejecting anything other than what the Word would say and taking the Word to be the, the true historical um, truth from God. I mean, this is what we want to get to. You know, we've talked about the problem with an old earth theory, with believing that the earth is billions of years old. One of the main things we've talked about up to this far is that it's a compromise, right? It compromises the doctrine that's set forth in Genesis. It, it really it compromises the whole book. It, it, if you can say, well, the first few chapters where it talks about how it all began aren't really true, or maybe it's, it's just an idea or a suggestion, or it's, you know, it's just illustrative something for me today, well, then how are you going to read the rest of the Bible? Are you really going to apply the rest of what it says? Are you really going to believe what Jesus had to say if you can't believe God creating the world? And, you know, one of the other things that, that I just I felt was revelation to me as I was getting ready for this tonight is, you know, if we, if we can't believe what the Word says about creation, if we can't believe that it's 6,000 years old, then, and I, I said this earlier too, it makes the Bible seem like a story rather than history. You know, if, if we can't believe that the timeline given to us in here is the truth, then it makes the whole book seem like a bunch of stories. And what that is, I mean, it's a tactic of the enemy to get people to not take the word at its, at its core. It's, it's a tactic to get people to, you know, halfway apply what the word says, to, to take the parts that fit them. Because if it's just a story, if it's just an idea, well then I'll take the parts I like and I'll leave the parts I won't. You know, if, if it's just a movie, if it's made up, if, if it's just something nice to occupy my time and make me think about a lesson, well, I'll fast forward through the parts I don't like and just watch the parts that I do like. I'll, I'll leave the parts of the word that challenge me and I'll just go to the parts that make me feel good. If, if it's just a story and it's not history, if it's not true, if it's not something I'm supposed to live out today, well, then I can just, I can pick and choose. Because I can do that with a story, right? It's just a story. But when it's history, I, I think it, it takes on a different kind of weight. I live different knowing that it's, it's the truth and it's his story. It's history. It's, it's historical and true. And it has, um, it has implications on how I live today. You know, looking at it as the true history rather than just a story makes a very big difference. Another thing I saw kind of in an apologetic way, this is something that I think these last few lessons especially I've just been seeing through them is 
the Bible, the Bible has such a knowledge for us, such an understanding for us on every topic, even more than what modern science would have to say. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly amazed as we go through these answers in Genesis studies that really the words got the answers that even the best scholars and, and thinkers today can't come up with. You know, I, I mean, there are people who, they kind of just, I mean, maybe they look at the Bible like it's, it's just for their Sundays and mornings and Wednesday nights of their life. You know, that's, that's just for, the Bible's just for religion. The Bible's just for, you know, how I relate with God. I mean, even Christians, I think it can be, it can be maybe too easy to slide into this method of thought where I kind of put the Bible in a box. Uh, I've got the Bible in my church bag. I've got the Bible on my seat at church or in the trunk of my car so I can grab it when I get to church. It's like I, I put the Bible, I put God, I put religion, I put belief, I put all this stuff in a box that has its time and place in my life, but it doesn't apply out here to the rest of my life. And that's so dangerous because we are, we are getting information, we are getting maybe opinions of people, we, we are being fed things in other areas of our life. But if the Bible's in a box or in my trunk or somewhere else where I'm not applying it the rest of the time, well then what am I taking in? You know, and I, we're talking about the age of the earth and how it relates to evolution theory and science. Well, if I'm taking my education and my intellect from scientists and people that are, are making up theories and guessing things, if I'm going there as my source first because my Bible's somewhere else, because the word is somewhere else, that it's not a priority that I'm going to feed myself in every area of life with it, well, then I'm going to get some messed up ideas about what's true. I mean, I'm just amazed that the Bible is, it's as much a history book as it is a, a guide for my spiritual life, as a guide or, or a revelation of who God is. I mean, it, it shows me the truth about mankind, about things we've been through. The Bible, I believe, will teach you more about life, more about the truth, more about history than any school class ever will. And I think what's dangerous is so many people don't know what the Bible says today. I know nobody in here is that way because we all, we all are learning what the Word says. But I know that there are people that, you know, they put the Bible in a box and will go to another source for information or understanding before going to the Word. One last thing we're going to look at tonight, as we get into these last few minutes of our, of our time together, is the, uh, the topic of radioactive dating. Radioactive dating. You know, part of what we've done here, I know we're kind of making a big swing, aren't we? <laughs> Talking about 6,000 years and the priority of the word, and now we're going to talk about radioactive dating for a few minutes. Well, you know, just as much as we look at the word for history, we're also looking at apologetics and how we can have real conversations with people that believe something different about what we believe and, and how these, you know, conversation points that we may have never thought we would encounter. I mean, if you told me we were going to be talking about radioactive dating, I would not even know what that was unless I had studied it. But it is important because this is one of the things that you know, the science community will point to many times to say this is why you know, the earth is so old. This is how we know that the earth is so old. What we're going to do for this, um, for this explanation, because he's going to do a much better job of explaining it than I would, is watch a short bit video of Ken Ham, who is the founder of Answers in Genesis. He's going to be explaining what radioactive dating is 
and what some of the compromises with that theory are. So let's go ahead and roll that video and then we'll finish up with just a few more minutes of thought. Let's go ahead, Sean. One creation scientist I know says, actually, from all the dating methods you can use to age date things on the Earth, 90% of them actually contradict billions of years. Only 10% give the billions of years. Give an example of one that contradicts billions of years and to help us understand dating methods. Salt actually is building up in the oceans. Salt is be the oceans are becoming a little bit more salty every year. In fact, salt comes into the oceans, salt is removed from the oceans, but there's a net gain of salt. And now, from secular data, we accept the secular data here, then if you assume there was no salt in the oceans to start with, and you say, but how do you know that? That's the point, you don't. But that's the problem with all dating methods. We don't know about uh, the start. And if you assume that salt has always been building up at the same rate in the past as it is now, and you say, well, how do you know that? Well, you don't, but all dating methods have that problem. But if you make those assumptions, according to the secular scientists, the oceans are supposed to be 3 billion years old. Actually, on the basis of those assumptions, there's only enough salt to count for 62 million years. But I don't believe the oceans are 62 million years old. There could have been salt there to start with. Noah's flood would have upset the salt content in the oceans. Actually, the oceans could be as young as 6,000 years. This method contradicts billions of years but it doesn't contradict thousands of years and there's many methods like that what about your radiometric dating methods well radiometric dating methods are based on a radioactive element that changes over time you've heard of the half-life uh, that means the time it takes for half of it to change into a, a, its daughter elements it's called the half-life well You've got uranium lead, you've got potassium argon, you've got rubidium strontium, those radioactive dating methods. In Australia, engineers drilled down to a basalt layer. It's a lava flow uh, that they had found had wood in it, trees in it. This lava had covered a forest and the trees were still woody. Well, when they used the potassium argon dating method to date the basalt, it dated to 45 million years old. When they used carbon dating to date the wood, it dated to 45,000 years old. 45,000-year-old wood in 45-million-year-old basalt. See, there's a problem. There's a problem. Potassium argon dating has been used to date lava flows in New Zealand when we know when they occurred, and so therefore the rocks are zero years old, but you use potassium argon dating, they date to millions of years because there's excess argon from the mantle that's uh, there in the lava, so it makes it look old. But, but here's the problem. When we know when a rock formed, we can work out why the dating method doesn't work. When we don't know when the rock formed, the dating method works. And by the way, I want you to know something else here. Carbon dating we use to date the wood. A lot of people in our, in, in, in our culture, in fact, let me ask you a question. How many of you have heard carbon dating used to supposedly prove millions of years? Put your hand up. See, here's the interesting thing. Carbon dating actually has nothing, zero, zilch, to do with millions of years. That's not me as a creationist saying it, that. If I had an evolutionist up here beside me, a secular scientist, he, he would say to you, carbon dating has nothing to do with millions of years. We, there's this misconception out there in the culture for some reason. Carbon dating can only date things that, um, it can only go back at the most about 100,000 years. Because after 100,000 years, carbon-14 would be not detectable because the half-life of radioactive carbon is, is uh, not that long, you know, just over 5,700-odd years.
And so after 100,000 years, it'd be undetectable. Actually, the way you can use carbon dating is this. If something is millions of years old, you shouldn't find carbon-14 in it. But actually, we do. We find it in dinosaur bones and coal deposits and so on said to be millions of years old. Of course, the secular world claims contamination. Well, creation scientists have done some research to eliminate that and had some interesting data, which I'll share with you in a moment. I had a pastor once who came to me at a church and he said, but carbon dating proves millions of years. You've got to believe in millions of years. I'm standing there thinking, how do I explain to this guy? He doesn't even understand carbon dating. He got it wrong. He shouldn't even be using carbon dating. If he used another dating method, I'd understand that he'd been, you know, indoctrinated in that way. But carbon that has nothing to do with millions of years. Here's a pastor who didn't understand carbon dating, got the whole method wrong, and he was rejecting the days of creation and young earth on that basis. It tells you there's something wrong out there with us. You know, uranium dating is another one that's used. And just to run through, I'm, I'm just going to do some very, very basic principles. It is so much more technical involved than this, but just to help us understand what's happening. Here's radioactive uranium. Over time, it decays into a particular form of lead, and there's certain in-between things that happen and so on. And so uh, the idea is this, if we know how long it takes for uranium to decay and we know the half-life of, of uranium or, you know, we, we, scientists have calculated what they believe that is. And so when you dig up a sample of a rock and it's got so much uranium and lead and you assume all that lead came from the uranium and you assume the rate of change has always been the same and you assume no uranium was leached out and so on. Do you see there's a few assumptions there? You calculate its age. Now there was a granite in which there were some zircon crystals and they found some uranium and some lead in there and assuming all that lead came from the uranium and understanding the, the half-life of uranium, they, they calculate, oh well this is, this is 1.5 billion years old and that's what they'll print in the newspapers and the textbooks. But see, then you could look at something else. A byproduct of that decay process is a gas called helium, which is an inert gas. It's non-reactive. It doesn't react with other things. In fact, uh, helium, you, you put it in your balloons. Okay? You don't put hydrogen in your balloons. It's a very reactive gas. If you have hydrogen balloons at a party, you'll have the Big Bang. Uh, helium balloons, well, you won't because it's non-reactive gas. Now, helium balloons, if you just leave them in, in your house, they'll go up to the ceiling, right? But over time, what happens to them? They come down as the helium diffuses out of the balloon. Well, in the zircon crystals, uh, they found helium. Um, and that helium actually diffuses out of the zircon crystals. Then, when they looked at all the helium that would be produced from the amount of decay, which they said was 1.5 billion years, according to the amount of decay, then they looked at the helium and how much was still in the crystal. They worked out on the basis of the rate at which it leaves the crystal and how much is still there. Actually, that process has only been going on for a few thousand years. See, the dating methods can't be trusted. There are problems, are problems with those assumptions. So obviously we see, as Ken Ham explained there, that you know, even with the best theories and processes of, of getting to scientific conclusions on how old everything is, um, there are issues. You know, it, it's kind of like we can get it right when we don't have to prove that it's true, or we can't get it right when we have to prove it's true, but we can get it right when we don't have to prove anything. You know, I, I think it's really interesting how he pointed out there at the end, or I think it was towards the beginning even, he said, you know, uh, they, can, they can always get to the exact age. They can always make the formula work when we don't know 
how old it actually is, but anytime we actually have a basis of how old this thing is, that's when we always get it wrong. Well, if, if every time I'm, I'm checking my answer and the answer's wrong, I think maybe my formula's off. Anybody agree with that tonight? That if you can't get it right when you have the answer, then maybe you need to change the formula. Maybe instead of going with a theory and, and calculating the earth to be these billions and billions of years old, maybe we should take what the Word says as our source of truth instead. Don't we agree with that tonight? Amen. So I hope this has given you some, uh, some tools to use in understanding and communicating with others that the earth really is 6,000 years old. You know, one of the things that I think is so awesome about this Answers in Genesis uh, series curriculum that we're going through is some of these topics I think are really the big questions that people ask. I think these are things that you know, people want to know answers to. I mean, whether they would consider themselves religious or not. I mean, I think at one time or another, every person has wondered how old the earth is. Last week, we talked about dinosaurs, and I think that's another one that is so, um, such, such a tool to reach people with. I mean, these are things that when I, when I have a claim that people might say the earth is billions of years old, I believe that it's 6,000. I mean, Saying that in a room full of people that believe it's billions of years old is probably going to grab someone's attention. If there's anybody that's even, even open to hearing the truth, I mean, that's a great opportunity to bring some of this up in a loving, kind way and show them what the Word says. Say that, you know, I have something better than a guess. And I really think that's what people want. I think, I think that's one of the things that is so reassuring about the Word of God is it's not just a guess. It is a concise, it is a consistent true word from God. And so as we can, we can reassure people with that saying, I'm not just guessing. I'm not, I'm not just giving you a theory about this. I have a, a place that doesn't contradict itself. I have a source of information that is time tested and true and lines up with everything that can be proven. And I can show you what it says about this topic. I mean, that can be the, the beginning point where somebody wants to hear what the Word of God says. And I mean, if you can get somebody solid on a natural thing like the age of the earth, I think that is a, an opportunity that opens up uh, the, the opportunity speak, to speak truth into spiritual things in their life as well. And I think even the, the note of, you know, Romans 5.12 about death entering the world, we could have talked some more about that tonight, but we're out of time. But I mean, even that, that point that, there is a source we can go back to for death. There is a reason that bad things happen in the world, and this is what it is. It's not random. It's not because God wants to punish people. We serve a good God, not a bad God. And here's a place we can go to to see that true. So I think we know the Word has answers for us, um, both in natural things, historical things, and spiritual things as well. Let's end with a quick prayer tonight, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for the revelation. We thank you for reinforcing what we have received tonight, knowing the earth to be about 6,000 years old. We have found it. We have seen it. It's been revealed to us in your word. And so we thank you, Lord, that we understand that now and that it is another tool in our belt as we go out equipped to win the world to you, to show people the truth, the history of, of mankind that is written in your word. Lord, we thank you for giving us this understanding tonight. We thank you for opportunities, good opportunities, people who are ready to receive the truth from you through us, Lord. We pray for that harvest tonight, that there are people that you have made their hearts ready. You have been working on them. And now as, as they've been made ready, Lord, we go with uh, understanding that you've given us so that we might 
turn them and direct them. Help in that process of turning them to you, Lord. We know that some plant, some water, and some harvest. God, tonight we go uh, prepared to fit into that process anywhere that you would open an opportunity for us to fit into. Thank you for using us. Thank you for the understanding we have tonight. And thank you, Lord, for your word, for Jesus Christ, and for the Holy Spirit. We love you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, you are dismissed. Thank you for coming tonight.